by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. When I was uh, about 12 years old, I was visiting my grandmama's house, my grandpa's house, my papa. He lived down in Shaw, Mississippi. I've told you all about that place on the 61 highway and and I was going to stay there for the summer, and I was really excited because he told me he might let me drive the tractor. He had this big old red international tractor, and, and boy, I couldn't wait to get behind the wheel of something at 12 years old, you know. And so I remember being out there by the barn that day and, and sitting up on that tractor, and he was telling me how I need to keep it in first gear and just go slow, and if I do well, he might let me drive it again, you know, later that summer. As a 12-year-old boy, I'm picturing driving that sucker to town, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking this is going to be mine all summer, so I'm wanting to do good, but my mama, she's out there, Papa, he can't be trusted, don't let him drive that thing, he's not ready to drive, he don't have a license, he don't have insurance, I mean, I still hear the same things today. <laughs> she thinks you're supposed to have insurance for everything, <laughs> but anyway, she was just getting on Papa, but Papa, you know, he had them furry eyebrows and and I could tell he wasn't listening to her, and what Papa said usually went, so I wasn't studying Mama. I said, okay, well, Papa said it's good. I'm going to go, you know. And so I, I cranked that thing up, and I looked over at Mama and gave her a look like, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. And I, and I gave my little brother a wink, you know, said, watch this, and I popped a clutch on that thing and shoot that delta dust all over all of them and took off, you know, around the back of the barn. But I said, I got to calm down. I got I to gotta drive right. If Papa sees me doing good, then I'll get to drive this tractor all summer. So there's about a, about a half, a quarter mile, quarter mile stretch of uh, dirt road, and it leads to a bow back there. He said, go to the bow, turn around, come back, and we'll see how good you do. So I'm doing my best to stay on the, the turn road there. And, you know, I get about third of the way down there, and I'm starting to think, man, this is really slow, put, 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 I, how does somebody deal with something this slow? This ain't fun as I thought it was, you know, I'm put, put, put in first gear like he told me, I'm thinking, what are rules for anyway, you know, why, do, why don't I just wind this thing through the gears, that's what I really need to do, and so I'm just putting, putting down there, and by the time I get to that, that bow, I'm just fed up with this whole, shaban- sh- you know, shenanigans of this going in first gear, and so I was supposed to turn around but I didn't see any place to turn around, so I just went across the culvert on the other side of the bow. And when I got across the bow over there, I looked back, and it was, it was a line of trees on the bow, and they couldn't see me from there, and I couldn't see them from there. And you know what I started thinking? I'll tell you later. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. But in the meantime, John fourteen fifteen, Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. In Luke 6, 46, he says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? What does Lord mean? It means the boss. It means what he says goes. He's saying all these people are saying, Lord Jesus, calling me Lord, 
but I'm not really their boss. They don't do what I say. And then in Matthew 7, 21, he says, oh, this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. That's pretty stout. What is God saying? What am I saying? I'm saying I believe obedience Say obedience. I believe obedience is kind of a big deal to God. I know you're all sanctified and Holy Ghost filled and all that, but obedience is still a big deal to God. It's been rough putting this message together. I told God every which way I know how to tell him I'm not qualified to teach this message. I said, Lord, I have learned all these lessons the hard way. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the one you talk about when you say you take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'm that foolish guy. I've, I've learned all these things that we're going to teach today the hard way. But I think he is confirming to me that's why I want you to teach it. Because <laughs> you've been there and done that, and now <laughs> you can explain it to them. <coughs> if you got your sheet, Today's message is entitled, Just Do the Right Thing. Say that with me. Just do the right thing. Punch your neighbor. Say, just do the right thing. I pity whoever's sitting next to Mary. She punched somebody at, at prayer Tuesday night, and he still got a bruise. <laughs> How many remembers King Saul? King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. You know, God's people were doing just fine as long as they would listen to God. But uh, all of a sudden, they were, you know, now they were in the promised land and, and they wanted a king like all the other nations. Boy, they made God mad about that. But God said, I'll give you what you want. He found a man and it was this young man. When you first see Saul in the Bible, you know what he's doing? He's looking for a lost donkey. <laughs> He's just a regular guy. Oh, he's tall and he's good looking and everything. But he's just looking for a lost donkey. He's like in his 20s or something. Him and one of his hired hands are looking for a lost donkey. And Samuel, the priest, goes and anoints him as king of all Israel. I mean, even during the anointing ceremony, they're saying, where'd Saul go? He's hiding among the baggage. He's not ready for this job. But God called Saul out of nothingness to be the king of Israel. Even Saul said, man, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and my family's the least in the tribe of Benjamin. We're like, no, he was like, what's the other guy that was hiding down in the pit? Gideon had all those excuses why God couldn't use him. Saul had more. Well, anyway, God calls him, he anoints him. And then Saul, he's trying to be real obedient to God at first, and he starts doing the things God says, and all of a sudden he starts getting success. They win the battles. He saves this town from the Amalekites or whatever, and, and pretty soon he's got grip of the kingdom, the kingship. Now, you know, he's not afraid of his enemies. He's having victory over the Philistines everywhere he turns, and people are saying Saul has killed his thousands, you know, and they have, they're raising his name up, and guess what happens? Saul starts to get the big head, thinking everything is okay. You ever get the big head, thinking everything's okay? So, you're most... <laughs> 
you're most likely to get the big head when everything's okay, right? You don't get the big head when, it, when you need God and you're on your knees sucking carb. Oh, Lord. It's when things are going bad. I mean, things going good when, when we, oh, I don't need you, God, anymore. Well, that's the way Saul, he was, he was nobody. He was looking for a donkey, you understand? And now he's the king of Israel, but all of a sudden he starts getting cocky. God tells him to do this, and he kind of does most of that. And there's this one case, he says, go and wipe out this, these people that was mean to my people back in Moses' day. Listen, God don't forget things back in the day. <laughs> he settled scores, you know. Anyway, he said, go get these people. I don't want you to leave none of them alive and, uh, and all this. And I, don't want you to, I want you to kill all the goats and the cows and everything. Well, Saul done got so big-headed, he goes in there and he wins the victory easily. But he keeps King Agag alive. That's the king of whatever they were, the Amalekites. But <clears throat> he also takes the best of the sheep and the goats and the oxen and all that and brings it back with him, direct, opposed to what God had told him to do. God said, wipe it all out. So he does this, and Samuel finally arrives, and he says this in 1 Samuel 15, 19. This is what he says to the king of Israel. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops bought in the best sheep and goats and cattle and, and plundered a sacrifice to the Lord God in, in Gilgal. That's what we were going to We were going to sacrifice to God with all this stuff. But Samuel replied, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering the fat rams or the fat of the rams. God is saying, look, just do what I say. Just do what I say. Like a lot of us, some of us got called later in life, you know. We were out there looking for our donkey. <laughs> really, that's about the resistance that we had. I know it, me, you know, I was 32 years old before I gave my heart to Jesus, before I, uh, I found the Lord and he found me. Until then, I was just out there looking for my donkey. I didn't know what I was looking for. I wasn't even finding him. Neither was Saul. <laughs> but God found me. And here... Here I, I get saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and I'm on fire for Jesus and I begin to do great things and I can't wait to please God and, and, and all this stuff and he's, his miracles happening and that man, everything is going great and all of a sudden, guess what? We start reading those scriptures about he has made us kings and priests unto our God. And I start, start thinking, I'm a king and I'm a priest. And it's not just me now. Some of you didn't get saved till later in life. And then you begin to get so full of the Word of God and all the promises that all of a sudden it didn't seem so, well, you know, God forgives you, you know, I'm, my sins are forgiven. Sin's not a problem anymore, you know, and so we begin to get lax about things. Listen, our Christianity is not a license to sin. God forbid. If anything, we're held to a higher standard. That's on your sheet. As Christians, we're held to a higher standard because we, we've been unshackled. We've been set free from the slavery to sin. Why would we go back in bondage like a dog returning to his vomit? That's silly. 
We need to be the world's most obedient people. We don't need to live on the edge like the world. We need to contrast the world. There needs to be a clear definition between what's holy and what's not holy. And we need to be on this side. Amen? Acts 10.34 talks about people who think, you know, maybe they're above God's laws now or something. He said, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, I'm glad you're filled with the Holy Ghost and sanctified, and I'm glad you're a pastor now, and I'm glad, you know, you're a deacon, and you're this, and all, you got all these titles. I'm glad of that, but I'm no respecter of persons, and your title don't mean anything to me. In every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So there's not different standards for different people. He is no respecter of, of persons. And another thing about Saul, he, he seemed to like God would tell him to do something and he would just add something to, to God's plan. I remember I did that early on as a Christian. God told me to go to this one person and say this exact thing. You ever had an unction in you that God wants you to tell somebody something? And I went and told them that and they told me something back. And I told them something back, and they told me. And before we got out of there, we had watered down God's message so bad that you could, we forgot what we were talking about. And when I left, God just got all over me. He said, I told you to tell that person that. I didn't tell you to tell them all that other stuff to try to water down my message. we got to be careful. God speaks to us. He tells us what to do. There's different ways. You, you understand, the, the Word of God is the Word of God. It's set in stone forever. If you see something in there... You, you don't have to come ask me, do you have an exception to that rule? You don't. We all have to live by the Word of God, but there's times He asks us to do something, and, th and those times when we know what to do in our heart, just do that. Don't take away anything and don't add anything. And here's another thing. Never justify disobedience. We're really good at that. I, I mean, like I said, we put on those rose-colored glasses when we look at ourselves and everything, you know, we can't do any wrong. And if we do something wrong, man, we got to read, well, God knows my heart. God knows why I did that. You know, he knew that I was in this circumstance. Don't justify your disobedience. And here's on your sheet, partial obedience is disobedience. If he says so, go give somebody $10 and you go give them $8.50, that's disobedience. <laughs> I mean, whatever he's telling you to do, do that. Do that. Everybody say, just do the right thing. I have people come to me as a pastor, you can imagine, and they, they want to justify things or they want to see what the Bible says. Really, they're just trying to see how close they can get to the cliff. Well, well, pastor, you know my situation is this and this. I've had people, what I tell them is just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Because I've learned the hard way, just do the right thing. I've had people come to me and say, well, if I tell the person what I did, then it's going to cause all this big commotion or whatever. I'm sorry. You're not going to get anything out of me. Just do the right thing. Just always do the right thing no matter what it costs you. Because listen, obedience always brings blessing. Then we got the guy, Samson. Everybody remember him? Samson was born to this couple that couldn't have children. They were old and everything. And God came and said, we're going to give you a child. And uh, he was born of promise. He was born of promise, sort of like Isaac. 
to parents of an old age. And they said, and God, the angel of the Lord came to their parents and said, here's what I want you to do. He's going to take a Nazarite vow. He's never going to cut his hair. He's never going to drink alcohol. All these things, this Nazarite vow. He's going to be holy unto me. He's going to be a special child. So they had this child. His name was Samson. Well, Samson grew up as a special child. We have a lot of kids in America today growing up as special children. They all are special, right? At least that's what they think. Anyway, well, along the way, Samson, he discovers he has these gifts and powers. He can take the gates and put them on his shoulders and bring them up the hill and throw them off. He can kill a thousand Philistines with a bone from a donkey. I mean, this guy's got it all together. He's, he's stout, you know. God's given him superpower. But he begins to do the things, the very things that was in his vow not to do. Why? Well, he just takes his strength and his giftings and his callings, his anointing. He takes all that for granted. He grew up in it. After all, are you listening? He grew up in a Christian home. He, he knows all that. He heard all that. I heard it in nursery. I heard it in children's church. Heard it in youth. I know all that. But he began to do things contrary to what he knew to do. And you know the story. Delilah deceived him, says, what is the secret of your strength? He went on and divulged it to her, knowing that she was, was rotten to the core, cut off his hair. The men came and got him. He lost his strength. They poked his eyes out. Here's this young man with all this potential for God that just began to take it for granted, everything that God had done for him and, and called him to do. You know that could happen to y'all? You know that all this potential has been given to y'all, all this anointing, all this knowledge that other kids in your school don't have? But if you just treat it like it ain't important, you can get your eyes poked out. <laughs> so, Samson, you, you know, he got his eyes poked out, but then his hair began to grow back. But he was blind, and they took him out to make fun of him. The world, you know, that's what they do. They make fun of you. And so they took him out to make fun of him. There's like 3,000 people in his Coliseum or something. He said, let me rest my hands on the post. And he put his hands on the post. He said, God, just give me strength one more time. And he pushed those posts over, and that place uh, collapsed. And he killed more Philistines in that one episode than he had his whole life. But it killed him as well. Pretty sad. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of us were raised in the church. We've been Christians all our life. I talked to people yesterday. How long have you been saved? Oh, I've always been in the church. I didn't ask you that. <laughs> How long have you been saved? How long have you been living? How long have you been sanctified and living for God? You know, we're, we're raising a generation, especially right now in America, according to the world's design, you understand. We're raising a generation of little princesses that are all the beautifulest and all the preciousest and can do no wrong. And we're raising a bunch of little fellas that all get the participation trophy. You know, they came in ninth place, but they get a big trophy for it. And they think that they can do no wrong. And so they think to themselves, surely God knows how precious I am. God knows how wonderful I am. My parents are the pastors. You know, my uncle, he was a deacon. You know, you got all, you, you, you got all this to say about everybody else, but you're taking the things of God for granted. Maybe you grew up in the church, 
Maybe some of us are here today. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church, but you've been serving in the church for so long, you're starting to take your role for granted. Man, I've been an usher for 20 years. Now you just come in and go through the motions. Or you've been on the praise team for 20 years, and you just come in and go through the motions. God deserves our best. Anyway, we think that long as the anointing is with us, long as I can hit that big note, you know, I'm okay with God. But that big note don't make you okay with God. Samson thought he was okay with God right up to the point where they blinded him and took away his sight and put him into darkness. Judges 16.20 says, When he woke up, he thought, I'll do as before and I'll shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. Man. We've got to be careful. It's our job to stay with the Lord, you know? Stay under that shadow of the Almighty. Samson became a joke. He was already one of the greatest comedians in the Bible. Did you know that? He brought the house down. <laughs> Literally. I said he was one of the greatest comedians in the Bible, not me. Anyway. God says, huh, give me that cough drop. I'm hurting up here. <laughs> Just kidding. Give me something to hide behind. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Don't be misled. Don't, don't mislead yourself. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And remember, God's no respecter of persons. Pastors. Presidents, they're all the same to God. Whatever you plant, there, there's no way you're going to plant an apple seed and get an orange tree. Whatever you're planting, you're going to reap a return. Ann Landers tells a story about a little girl coming down the mountaintop from her grandma's house. And she's on the way home, and right there in the path, she sees a snake. And before she can even jump back good, the snake speaks to her and says, Oh, oh, it's okay, it's okay. He says, I'm up here, and I'm about to die because it's so cold up here. I can't survive in this climate, and I don't have anything. There's no food source. Can you carry me down the mountain? And she goes, no, no. I, you're a rattlesnake, and you'll bite me, and you're poisonous, and it'll kill me. He goes, no, no. I, if, you'll, if you'll be kind to me, you know, I won't hurt you at all. I'll be, I'll be like your best friend. You'll, you'll be saving my life. And so she thinks, and tenderhearted, she picks up that snake, puts it in her bosom, and she walks down the mountain a few steps, and it ain't gone far, but she feels a pain in her side. And she said, oh, no, why did you do that? You bit me. He says, you knew what I was when you picked me up. <laughs> he jumps out, hisses at her, and slithers off. And that's the way sin is. We all think, we, well, it won't happen to me. The devil has this presentation that sounds so good, I can do it. How many of you think that, that you could get away with certain sins if somebody doesn't see or, or nobody knows or whatever? You, you're justifying, and the, and the devil's talking to you. You're right. No, no, it'll be fine. You'll get away with it. I know, I know the Bible says that you'll reap what you sow and, and all that, but you'll get away with it this time, and we pick that snake up. Look, don't, don't pet that snake. He's going to bite you every time. Just do the right thing. 
Hit somebody and say, just do the right thing. Don't hit me back. <laughs> and guess what? Your disobedience to God affects other people. I know you think that you're sinning in a bubble, and man, nobody knows, and it's just, I, some of you can say, well, I like sinning in this area, and so as long as it's only hurting me, I'm willing to take the wages of sin. That's real smart. The wages of sin is death, eventually. It may start off where you can handle it, but, but it's, it's, there's more payday coming if you stay in it. But they say, well, I, I, I like my little sin, and I'm petting it, and, and as, long, as long as it's with me, it's not going to hurt those people around me. You, you can take it. You feel like, I'm big enough to, to pet my little snake. How many remembers uh, Moses died and Joshua took over? And Joshua took him across the Jordan River, and he was now the new boss. And he was like a man of war. He, he was a strong warrior and everything. He, he needed a little confidence and everything to take over after Moses, but, but he was willing to do what God said. And the first town they get to is a little town called Jericho. And God says, all right, here's the plan. Joshua, I want you to go around this city and, and do this and blow these horns and all. And Joshua must have been thinking, well, God, that, that don't seem like that's really the way to go to war. He could have been saying, well, you know, what, what I've been training is with swords and stuff. What's this blowing horns? How's that going to hurt anybody? He probably had every reason to reason his way out of doing what God said, but he didn't. He did exact. He told the people, and they did exactly. He said, and God had said, don't, don't y'all touch none of that stuff. That's the first town. It's like first fruits, just like your tithe. You're not supposed to touch it. It goes to God. He said, I, he said, I want you to kill all the stuff that breathes in there, and if there's any gold and silver, it goes into my sanctuary, and it's holy unto me. Don't touch it. So he, he told the people. They went around the city on the seventh day. They went around seven times and, and did exactly what God says. And when they shouted, the walls came down. Just like it was supposed to happen. And they were all excited. God is with us, and he was. Gave them a great victory. And so the next town they're supposed to go, it's a little AI town, and they sent some spies up there. So we don't even need many to go take care of this town. So Joshua sent two or 3,000 men. I can't remember. They got whooped. <laughs> they got whooped bad. They lost 36 lives that day. 36 people died. Joshua tore his clothes and he began to go to God. God, I thought you were with us. What if, why, why have you brought us here? Now all the people are going to see that we can't even defeat little Ai and they're all going to attack us and we'll be done with. And he's moaning and complaining. God says, get up. The reason that happened is because somebody took something from Jericho they weren't supposed to take. Some of the first fruits. And so Joshua said, what do we do? And God said, call the assembly together. And they got all the people, and they drew lots and whatever, and it came out to this guy named Achan. And this guy named Achan had taken a, like a coat and some silver and a bar of gold, and he had taken it when he wasn't supposed to and hid it in his tent underground, below his tent. And because of that sin, 36 people died. You know what happened to Achan? They took him and his whole family and stoned them, burned their bodies, and piled rubble up over the top of them. And then God's wrath against that sin was quenched, and then they went and went won other wars. But why am I saying this? 
watch out who you hang out with because their disobedience can affect you. Those 36 guys may have not done anything wrong, but because of Achan, somebody in their camp, that sin affected them. And don't think, look, you can sin in a vacuum and it doesn't hurt those people around you. And your disobedience can't be hidden from God. I don't care if it's in your tent. I don't care if you dug it in the hole and you put it underground. God knows all this stuff. And you think, well, it's just between me and God. You know, I, I, it's my sin and I'm just going to pet it and it's not going to hurt anybody else. But that's a lie. Your sin affects the spiritual climate all the way around you. It affects your anointing. It affects what you're called to do in life. In your household, you bring in that kind of sin. You bring, you're opening the door and the window to spirits that you don't want in your house. It's affecting your children. It's affecting your wife. It's affecting your husband. It's affecting those around you. Sin. It's not right. Disobedience. The good news is our obedience can also affect our spiritual climate. The good news is you're singing psalms and hymns and making melody in your heart to the Lord and you're doing right and people are seeing you and getting saved. They're wanting what you got. You're changing the spiritual climate by your obedience. Jesus' obedience changed the whole world. In Romans 15, uh, Romans 5, 19, says, For as by one's disobedience many were made sinners by Adam, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous because of his obedience to do the tough thing that God asked him to do, to go to the cross. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And he bore the sins of many, and because of his obedience, we're here today with the hope of eternal life. And there might be people that you know in your job, in your household, in your family, that might come to save a knowledge of Jesus Christ because of your witness, the way you live, and your obedience to Christ. Say, just do the right thing. Look at your neighbor. Say, stop hitting me. <laughs> I went down to the children's church Wednesday night. You, you know little Alex that was sitting here? That was really cutting up during praise and worship. I love that guy. I said, Alex, who broke down the walls of Jericho? And he looked at me and said, Pastor, I didn't do it. And so I looked over at Miss Anita, and she says, I know Alex and his family, and I can vouch he probably didn't do it. And, and so I went into the office to tell Miss Angie, and I, and I told her, and she said, Guy, what's the big deal? Just get three quotes, and we'll get the wall fixed. <laughs> Did I mention that uh, Samson was a great comedian? All right, let's talk about somebody who did things right. Y'all ready to hear somebody did something right? Are y'all having fun as I am? I'm having a good time. When we talk about tough subjects, we've got to have a good time. You, you take, a little, take a little medicine with laughter, you know, it does the heart good. Abraham. Now, you can look back at the course of Abraham's life. And he made some mistakes. He did some lying and some deceiving and stuff like that. And he made mistakes. But as he got older, <coughs> he began to learn 
to be obedient. So much so that after God had given him Isaac, the, God, the son of his promise, that he had promised in his old age that he loved so dearly, the most precious thing in the world to him, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac to the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him there to me. Now, if you've got children, you just stop and think about that for a minute. If ever a man had a, a reason or had a possibility of reasoning themselves out of a situation, he could have said, well, God, I know you don't like human sacrifice, so that's not you. That's another voice. I, I'm not hearing that. You know, you, anybody had a reason to stick their fingers in their ear and not listen to God, it was Abraham. But it says Abraham got up early the next morning to do exactly what God asked him to do. And he took that young kid, and they went on a journey, and he took his only son, and he put him on an altar on a mountaintop. And he took the knife and was on the way down. And God saying, Abraham, had to say it twice because Abraham was so intent on doing what God said. He was so intent on being obedient, obedient to God that he was coming down with a knife. And because of that obedience, God called him and said, don't, don't do the child any harm. Because I see that you are willing to give everything for me. I'll give you my son. And that's who he cut covenant with. And that's why Abraham is the father of many nations. He's the father of our faith. Because he trusted God even to the point he was willing to sacrifice his own son. Even when it didn't make sense, his obedience, to, he had learned obedience to God was the only way to go. And it says in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it was by faith. Say faith. We're not called to be Reasoners, we're called to be faithful. It doesn't have to make sense what God asks us. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. God had already made promises about it, Isaac. And in doing this, he knew it was going exactly against what God had promised him. But he did it anyway. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back to life again. In other words, instead of talking out yourself out of it, reasoning and telling God that don't make sense, just be obedient. And understand that God has the, ma the major plan. He sees yesterday, today, and forever like it's all the same. He can put the parts together. He doesn't need our input. He needs our obedience. James 2.21 says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? It was because he did the right thing. He was obedient when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. Many of the people in the church today they have this great faith. Man, they can finish all your scriptures for you. They know everything in the Bible, and they believe it, except when it comes time to do it. But the Bible says faith without works is dead, being alone. You say you believe it. Let's put some feet underneath that. 
Let's see if you believe it. Abraham was coming down with the knife. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we're shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Oh, that's got to tear up somebody's theology right there. We're shown to be right with God by what we do. You know a tree by its fruit. You say you're a Christian, you say you believe, but all your actions showed to otherwise. Faith without works is dead. If there's really belief, there will really be action. So is the way you're living proving out what you say you believe? Just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Life doesn't have to be complicated and hard. We have an instruction manual. We make it hard. Trying to sit on the throne where we don't belong. Just be obedient. So I crossed over the, the bayou over there, and I was behind that tree line. And I'm thinking to myself, they can't see me over here. What would it hurt, you know, if I was to rip through these gears and see what this baby will do? And so what did I do? I did it. My little brother Heath, who was watching from the bar barn, he's got a memory like a hypnotized elephant on a truth serum. I mean, he can remember everything. I have to go back to him to get my story straight all the time. He recalls it like this. He said, when I crossed that bow, my grandfather started muttering in Italian. He said, my mama opened the window in the house and said, see, I told you. My grandmother started going through the Hail Mary. Hail Mary full of grace, Lord, I mean. And he said, it looked like a, a shuttle launch on the backside of that as the dust went. And I took off across it. It seemed like I was going 100 in that tractor. I'm sure it was only probably 30 or 40, but on that dusty road, I was, I was getting it, boy. And then I turned around and all the way back, and then I put it back down in first gear and come across the culvert. I had dust all on my face. And <laughs> I drove all the way that quarter mile back in first gear. And I was expecting everybody to be there to congratulate me how good I did. And when I saw my papa with them big eyebrows, was cocked at a funny angle. And I said, where do I remember that from? He said, park it over there, boy. And I went and, and parked it over there. And when he came, I saw him taking off that big leather belt. And then I remember where I'd seen them eyebrows before. Is that time I hit him in the head with a dirt clod. <laughs> I hopped off that tractor and took off. And thanks to a good pair of tennis shoes, I escaped the wrath of that zesty Italian that day to, to be able to tell you this story. But the, why did I tell you this story? I don't know. But I will say this, if an old man with big bushy eyebrows he can't see past, a quarter of a mile away behind a tree line can see me sinning, don't you think God can see from heaven and knows exactly what's going on? 
He knows exactly what we're doing. He's wanting to bless, but you're withhold, he's having to withhold the things he wants to get to you. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. We're held accountable. You will be held accountable. It's to God that we're held accountable. So just do the right thing. You know, we have something that all those other guys <coughs> that we mentioned didn't have. We have the blood of Jesus. We have a new covenant. And that's so good. But that doesn't excuse disobedience. Don't put off being obedient to God. And don't say, well, I didn't know any better. You know, like ignorance to God's law is an excuse. How many of you have done 70 miles an hour in a 40 and the cop pulled you over and you said, well, I didn't know what the speed limit was. That was this morning. I know you. That doesn't fly. If you don't know what God says, find out. And if he's speaking to your heart about something, just do the right thing. Learn what God will have you do and make whatever adjustments he shows you quickly. Don't hold off. Don't, don't reason things out. Say, well, God, I'm going to do it when, when I get this in line. Well, God, the way I'm looking at it is when I pay this off or we get this house or this happens, then, then I'll be obedient. That's disobedience. When you know what to do, just do the right thing. Do it quickly that God might have mercy. God is serious about sin and disobedience. He's so serious that he sent his son to die on the cross because of it. You don't think he's serious, that's serious. Jesus put it like this. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's just showing you how serious disobedience and sin is. But we can be like Abraham. We don't have to learn everything the hard way. Abraham learned a lot of things the hard way. Some of us are learning things, and, and we're where we are we, with limited understanding we got here somehow and maybe you're thinking well i'm really under condemnation now this message is not to bring you under condemnation this message is to bring you freedom because now you have the opportunity now you know now you can make the adjustments if you hear this message and and know that god's dealing with you and you walk out of here and don't make the changes then you're bringing your condemnation on your own self but i'm called to to preach the truth <coughs> So we don't have to learn everything the hard way like Saul, Samson, Joshua, the little girl with the snake, me. Many of us can testify. Learning things the hard way is not the way to go. There's so many reasons for us to do the right thing. Obedience brings blessing. Isaiah 119 says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And in being obedient, we please the Father, we honor our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we, we do what we were called to do, we, we become who we were called to become, we feel that place in our heart that wants to do right. And we stop giving in to the darker nature, the old man, we stop 
dragging around what we should have buried a long time ago. Today we sang that song, Your Love is Everything, didn't we? Your love is everything. Your love heals every disease. And his love heals the sin disease. On the cross, it, it healed that sin disease. It's the only thing that could overcome sin in your life. It's his love. If you're lost in sin, you have forgotten his love. His love has not become everything to you yet. Your love heals every disease. Your love fulfills my every need. Sin can never do that. Sin can't fulfill anything in your life. It's, it's sucking you dry. Disobedience in areas of your life is sucking you dry. And God wants to fulfill your every need. Man, why don't you give God a shot at this? Why don't you open up the floodgates and say, I am yours. Here I am. I'm just going to do the right thing. I know I've got this going on in my life, and I've been trying to pet it and hold it over here and pray that nobody sees it, and I've been praying for your mercy all these years, but I, I think I'm just going to repent of it and just do the right thing from now on. It's, life is not hard. We make it hard. Just do the right thing. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We have something that those other Old Testament people didn't have. We have the blood of Jesus. We have the Spirit of God. We have the ability to do God's calling. And you are the people to do it. Say I for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.